Welcome back to the Policy Biz Podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. Thanks for tuning in to the show on this week's episode of the podcast. I welcome Martin Boers, scientist who's written a great new book on visualizing data, something I really am interested in, obviously, and I'm sure you are too, having listening to this podcast. Now, why should you read Martin's book and listen to this podcast in addition to all the other great books that you're reading? I think there are two big things to consider with this book. First, he spends a lot of time talking about table design, and we're going to talk about it in the interview. It's something that doesn't really get a lot of attention in the data visualization library. So from my perspective, it's really Martin's new book, my book, and Stephen Few's book are really the few books that talk about table design. So that's one thing. If you're interested in better tables, this is the episode for you. The other thing that we talk about a lot is small multiples or what Martin calls matrix graphs. So we talk about good styles and designs and ideas and concepts about creating better small multiple charts, which if you don't know, are exactly what they sound like, a combination of smaller multiple charts. And the last thing that we talk about that is really interesting for me, from my perspective, as someone who's uh, worked in publishing in the academic field and in, in academic journals, is how the academic publishing doesn't focus on data visualization and how that's been a detriment to the ability to communicate research and scientific findings more effectively. So there's a lot of information and guidance packed into this interview and into Martin's book. So I hope you'll enjoy this week's episode of the podcast. My interview with Martin Boers starts right now. Hi, Martin. Good. Well, afternoon, your time, morning, my time. How are you? Happy New Year. Good to see you. Hi, good to see you too. Thank you for inviting me to do this uh, interview. I'm really excited. Yeah, this is uh, terrific. I'm excited to chat with you. I've got your book, Data Visualization for Biomedical Scientists. We'll talk about how it's not just for biomedical scientists. And there are some unique pieces in your book that you don't find in many other data visualization books. So, so I'm excited to chat with you. So um, maybe we can start with uh, your background and then we just jump right in to talk about the book. The first question I have about the book is what are the unique challenges with visualizing data that, that biomedical scientists face? Um, and then I think we can, because the book is definitely broader than, than just that, but I think we can, we can start there. So, uh, so kind of two questions for you, just, just kick the whole thing off. Yeah, well, um, I, I mean, to be really honest, I don't think there are unique challenges to biomedical science. Um, the reason I decided to focus on what is my own field is that there's lots of general data visualization books around, and some of them also address scientific papers and, and, and presentations. Um and in the process of writing my book, I had some feedback from some uh, very notable people in the field. And, and one of them said, you know, why write another book on data visualization? I mean, look at my book. <laughs> that's, that's all people need. And I was writing this book because even though that book was great and there are many great books out there and I, I you know, I referenced them all in my book. It, it's not like uh, I, I suddenly invented this field, but uh, I was struggling with what I could not find in those books mm -hmm. that were day-to-day -day issues in the papers I was trying to write or mostly I was trying to supervise in, in, my, in my, my fellows and, mm -hmm. and finding out that, that 
there was no guidance at all, and everybody did it yeah. wrong, including senior scientists. Uh, and nothing was being corrected from the journals. If you look at the journal templates, you know, 99% are simply horrible and could be yeah. easily improved. So I started, you know, writing about that and writing to journal editors. And, and when I was on editorial board, spending time to to improve papers and writing guidelines. And, you know, that sort of expanded into something. Then I decided, you know, COVID came along. Yeah, mm -hmm. let's, let's write a book. <laughs> so that's... Yeah basically how it happened but i think <laughs> and, and and biomedical science is my field so i know what's wrong in my field and if i were to say okay um and by the way you know economics or another field they have poor graphs as well mm -hmm. then i'd really have to go and study those journals to make sure yeah. that i wasn't making a fool of myself and people would fall all over me oh you haven't seen me done this and that i know my field right. so i thought you know if i stick to that nobody can blame me for going outside of my uh, comfort zone. So, so but let's talk me. about that a little bit because like I will tell you in the economics field, like the graphs are also fairly terrible in most journals. And so you, you spend, there's like this, this section right at the end that's kind of tucked away, but it's kind of like my favorite part. Cause it, it talks about this peer review process that nobody talks about. Um, and, and I guess uh, I'm not sure what my question is other than why, do you think peer-reviewed journals haven't uh, tapped into what we know is data visualization as a popular means to communicate research and data? Because nobody feels enough of an expert to comment on it. Hmm. And um, so it's, it's from, from the junior to all the way to the senior level uh, that nobody knows how to do it. Yeah. And so, so I, you know, I, I was interested in, in data visualization right from the very beginning of my scientific career before. So mm -hmm. I always spent a lot of time, you know, doing stuff, but nobody of my supervisors would ever comment on that part. Right. And if you made a table, well, you just made a table and nobody said, gee, why don't you, you know, why is the order of your categories like this? Or why have you ordered your numbers in this way? And why is this table so terrible to read? It was sort of a, a natural phenomenon that tables and graphs would ap magically appear. Yeah. And then right from the first version, they would go all the way into the published paper. Right. And unfortunately, <laughs> that is either still the case or journals have caught up and put in some guidelines that make tables and graphs worse. Right, they've built these templates that are not built by, I mean, I'm sure well-intentioned, but not people who may have expertise in how to do these well. Or they, and, and I mean, the most recent version of this is that the, the bigger journals have put little software machines in place mm. where uh, once you are past the acceptance stage, you go into the proof, you get your proof, but the proof is no longer a PDF, but it's actually a web page where you mm -hmm. can, you know, correct your paper. And the web page has a little table machine in there oh. that does not allow you to format the table properly. Right. Or it makes it so difficult that everybody right. gives up. Right. There's a revenue stream problem in academic publishing, right? Like my first, the first paper I wrote, I remember the first paper that I well, co-authored uh, back in the day. The journal 
helped make all the the graphics. You know, they they had all the editors. I mean, there was a team, and now you're on your own. It's exactly. like you know, exactly. yeah, um, exactly. And, and, and do you do you think? I mean, this is looking ahead, but do you think that maybe some of this artificial intelligence tools and as the you know data viz tools maybe start develop and get better, that will be helpful, or do you think we're just going to be spinning our wheels and? Well, yeah, well, if you say AI, AI needs to be trained. And if AI yeah. is going to be trained with the current body of literature, they yeah. will <laughs> ingrain right. Right. The, the horrible practice that we right. have now. Right. Yeah, that's right. that's right. I hadn't even thought of that, but you've given me a new nightmare to oh, no. contemplate. <laughs> that's, that's not going to really help. I mean, yeah. the software has improved immensely so there's much better tools that you can use today than there were when i started out i mean when i started out we didn't have computers i mean i'm that old (laughs) punch cards actually i started before we had punch cards before punch cards okay (laughs) so 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 my first uh, scientific article was drawn by a scientific artist. Oh wow! Who, who had the you know the, like architects have? Yeah, so yeah, the big drafting, drafting and board, then they yeah. they would have paper, and then they would have sets of, of dotted and dashed lines on, oh, wow. on on paper, and they they would put it on the line, and then they would scratch the ink onto the. Wow, that was that was that was pure art. Yeah, so the, yeah. And, I, I remember dreaming of a computer program when 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 the first Mac started when when the 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 Mac first Mac came on the market I dreamt of a program that would do things would do it yeah uh, and when that program appeared it ha- isn't around anymore so I can safely name it without sponsoring anybody Cricket Graph <laughs> oh when, wow. when that program came along I bought my first Mac. Because I had dreamed of that program. You know, you <laughs> click on an axis and it opens and you can change the scale. That sort of yeah. thing. Well, yeah. that's, you know, routine now. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't around. So right. I, I've seen it all come. And I mean, now there's such good programs. Um, and, and some of the programs are invented by people who know about graphs. So yeah. the default is already half or three quarters good, which means the errors if you just keep on the default, you already have a pretty good right. starting point. And many people don't get past the default, as you know. Yeah, right. When Microsoft changed their standard form, font, everybody uses that font because mm-hmm. nobody ever changes a font. Right. And it's with graphs and with tables, it's it's the same way. You have one template. You know, oh, that's the way to do it. Okay, fine. Right. Don't think right. about it. So anyway. So, so you've mentioned a couple times tables and the first yeah. chapter after the introduction, the first chapter in your book is on table design. And by my count, there are only three data visualization books that spend any significant time talking about tables, your yeah. book, my book, and Stephen Few's book. And those are the only three that I'm aware of that exactly. spend any significant exactly. time. And I'm curious, I guess my curiosity really stemmed uh, why you decided to do tables at the very beginning of the book. Well, I was going to do a book on graphs. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> and then I, I thought, yeah, but I need to do tables first. Yeah, because yeah. tables, in a way, um, are simpler. Mm-hmm. Although making a good table is pretty difficult. But mm-hmm. tables are simpler because you don't have all these uh, you know, directions you can go in. Yes. Yeah. 
and they are sort of the basic staple of, of science. Yeah. It, that's not graphs, it's tables. Yeah. And I say nobody writes about them. So I was highly inspired when I, I, I didn't have your book then. I just had Stephen Few's book. And I thought, mm -hmm. here's a guy who writes about table. And it's, it's, it's really, I mean, his table chapter is really very good. Yeah. So um, like with all things, you know, do I need to add to that? Yes, because Stephen does not address the issues I have in my field with tables and, and extensively described in the chapter where you have, and I'm, I'm moving away from that, but that's what you see very commonly. You have multiple numbers within one cells, mm -hmm. within one cell that are, you know, unclearly separated. So you have these number blurbs that almost become words inside a cell. Yeah. And then on the next line, you have the same blurb, but slightly differently. And, mm -hmm. you know, within four lines, your table is a total mess. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, th there were, there were quite a, a number of things that Stephen Few didn't have to focus on because his tables were basically about business and sales right. and, and housing and whatever. So it's right. sort of one category, which is either dollars or bricks or whatever. Yes, and we right. have all these multi-item tables with different things. So yeah. there's, there's highly specific things that I was struggling with before I wrote the chapter and I had sort of found some solutions for, which were universally rejected by journals if I submit it. They say, yeah, but this uh, is not standard. <laughs> yeah, but just standard. <laughs> I mean, it's so interesting. Like they have their own publishing platform, whatever tools they use. Yeah, and it's like that's that's it. And if it doesn't yeah. fit in that little box, then well, it's it's worse than that. I think most of the journals have one template, which you know looks like a format, um, mm -hmm. but what they do is they just pour your numbers in the cells yeah. and then forget about it. There isn't, right. you know, there's some good journals that make very nice tables, but usually it's just, oh, you're submitting a table. Okay, here's our matrix. Just pour it in. There you go. This is our yeah. format. This is how we right. always do it. Right. So there's no, there's no thinking behind it. It's just production. Right. What would your top recommendations be for, for people when it comes to making good tables? I can name only one. Okay. Only, only one. Love it. Because I have a lot of one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, one would be good, yeah. The, 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 I think the first recommendation would be proper alignment. Mm, yeah. It's, it's yeah. about categories and numbers. And if your numbers are not properly aligned, they're difficult to read. It is fascinating to me when I see this. I'm sure, I mean, you know, science is science. So they have, like you said, you have multiple things in a cell. You've got the, you know, a coefficient and a standard error with stars and, and parentheses around it. And it is shocking to me how the numbers are not aligned. And it is just, just objectively difficult to read. I don't think we need any sort of like, like real fundamental study to, to prove that point. It is just harder to read. Exactly. So, yeah. so, and, and it's so basic and it is, it is fairly easy to correct. I mean, there's yeah. some issues, you know, shall we do it this way, that way, but it's not like, oh my God, how am I going to solve this problem? It's just yeah. saying, this is how you do it and implementing it. I think the, the other thing about tables is to communicate to people that, you know, tables are actually sort of like very simple graphs so yeah. you have to think about 
the ordering of the information in your table, uh, right. which, which, which I, I term after one of the other giants um, telling a story. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you make a table and you order your categories by alphabet or by the order in your database mm-hmm. or by, you know, random. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, whatever one, your code what you, says the variable name is. Yeah. Usually things you find important are going to be at the top of the table. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. don't let me scroll through 18 rows of noise before you right. know we hit on the thing you wanted to show me in the first place yeah so those, those no, are, I, I, it's yeah. more than one that that would be the two things and then there's all the other stuff because as you rightly noted in the prep for this interview i think that the tables chapter is actually the longest of the whole book <laughs> <laughs> well it's, it is interesting because steven's chapter on on tables i don't remember but exactly where but it's somewhere in the middle of the book the chapter i wrote on tables is at the end of my book um, and I just, I did, I found it interesting that it was at the beginning of this book. But when I think about, at least in economics, and I'm guessing it's similar in your field, if I think about picking up any journal and just going page by page and counting graphs versus tables, I'm sure there are more tables um, yeah. than than graphs in any random journal that I select. Yeah, and, 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 and in every paper, there's a table one and become it always comes before any graph. Yeah. It hits, gives you the baseline data. So it's sort right. of really, really basic. Yeah. yeah. The other interesting uh, piece of the book is you have an entire chapter dedicated to, you know, what you call matrix graphs. Other people call it small multiples, trellises, panel chart. I mean, whatever, right? Yeah. But so again, I'm, I'm curious about the decision to include, to, to write an entire chapter about it. I think it's, uh, I, I don't, I, I'm not saying I disagree with it. I actually agree with it, that it, it deserves, it's, it's one of the, one of my pillars of good data visualization is think small multiples and, and see where you go. So again, what was your thinking behind a whole chapter dedicated to small multiples? And then we could talk about what your, you know, top recommendation would be when people are, are creating it. Okay, so, so that chapter is actually has two parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sort of the basic part, the basic principles of small multiples, uh, which covers topics like, you know, trying to uh, harmonize your axes so that you can do away with a lot of labeling and, and trying to, again, get the order right for the message you have in your data, mm-hmm. whether it be, you know, we like to compare horizontally rather than vertically. So if your main comparison is horizontal, they should be like this, all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff, which goes for uh, all of those, what I call matrix graphs. But the real story is the second part. Mm-hmm. And the second part is my effort to make a good a matrix graph for basic scientists. Mm. So in, in my field, basic scientists are the, the people in the labs, uh, or they call themselves usually translational because they want p- people to feel that they're connected to the bedside. But, you know, they do stuff with cells and with, with, with DNA and with uh, experimental animals and what have you. Right. Um, and within my field, that is a really close shop mm-hmm. of people who have their own methods of doing research. Um, and if you're not in the in crowd, 
you usually mm. don't understand anything of what's going on. Mm. And that's because they have their own codes, they have their own abbreviations, they have their own way of doing things, they have their own way of doing statistical analysis. And I'm right. you know, sort of a statistician as well, doing a lot of things that in the rest of the world is found to be quite objectionable and not really very right, like mm. doing uh, experiments with very, very small uh, sample sizes and right. then doing uh, parametric statistics to see differences, significant differences, and then doing multiple tests. And I can go on and on. So there's a lot of things in, in methodology, in uh, my type of methodology, which is uh, not the lab uh, mechanistic methodology, but really statistics, yeah. uh, how to set up your experiment, how to do controls and all that sort of thing, mm -hmm. um, which is, well, difficult to understand and, and usually not the way I would recommend. But the other side of it is they do a lot of, so they have this theory of, you know, um, whatever, uh, agent A uh, blocks the production of uh, some sort of stuff that you need or not need from, mm. uh, from the raw compound. And we're going to prove that that is the fact and also that it has a biologic effect that is relevant. Mm -hmm. And so, th so they have this system where they say, okay, let's first look in the genes, whether this yeah. is happening. And then let's look at the gene expression. And then let's look at whether the cells who have that gene expression are actually in the place where they should be doing the work or not. And then if we have that, then let, let's look at, you know, in whole lab animals and let's see whether the agent that is needed for that process is actually being blocked or not. So they have a lot of ways to buttress their theory, which is really right. very cool. You know, in, in human experiments, we have this drug and we put mm -hmm. it in a human and see, you know, what happens to the human and we have to infer all those steps in between. So yeah. their, if you want statistical methodology, I think is very poor, but their biological methodology is very, very advanced, yeah. very precise, very elegant. They always have, you know, three or four ways of proving their point. So yeah. we start here and there and there and there. And that's why this is true. So really good stuff, beautiful science. And yeah. I always thought when I saw these horrible mattresses that they produce, because they have like in an eight minute presentation, they will have 20 slides. And all those slides are small multiples of at least 16 graphs with unreadable yeah, letters right. with no explanation. And they'll yeah. say, so here you see that A was blocked by B. And by the way, whoop, next slide, B was blocked by C, right. you know, another 20 graphs. So it was, oh my God, oh my God, I can't. So I thought, you know, it may just be that I'm too stupid to understand this stuff. And all the rest of these basic science people, they understand and they're happy with these slides, just me being stupid. Yeah. So I just said, okay. I don't understand this graph. And I had a colleague, you know, I work in a, in the university department with a lot of basic scientists. And there was a very nice presentation from one of his PhD students. And I saw from the slides, okay, here's someone who's, you know, sort of interested in, in, in trying to convey what's going on to me who is not in the lab. So mm -hmm. that was the starting point. And I said, look, I saw this presentation. It's nice. I understood about 25% of it. Mm -hmm. I want to understand 100% 
and yeah. I want to see your graphs, and I want to see whether I can improve it mm -hmm. after understanding so that it's better. Yeah. I said, okay. So, well, it was a bit of you know, to and fro before I had the data and I had the graphs and I had, so I started building this. I think it, yeah, I wasn't working full time. I think it cost me three months. Oh, wow. To understand the science, oh, you know, yeah. really on the detail level. Yeah. And again, you know, the science is not really very difficult. It's just understanding what's going on in the nucleus with that um, uh, cytokine and that stuff and what is being activated and repressed. Sure. But you have to know what kind of abbreviations they're using. Are they useful? Mm -hmm. yeah. And then you find out they always do the same experiment. <laughs> it's one, one generic experiment. And they do that in different settings over right. and over and over again. Over and over again right? It's like this. Okay. I have a negative control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's normal saline or, or, or unstimulated cells or... Um, uh, uh, wild type baby baby calves or whatever it's you know yeah. this okay let's see what happens that is my zero condition yeah and then I have my positive control mm -hmm. which is um, let's inject this baby calf with something which will turn all the white blood cells on we know yeah. it does right uh, so okay in our system let's see what happens and we have you know all the leukocyte counts going up or all the Look, uh, uh, interleukins being activated, whatever. So that's my positive control. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now let's put in the agent we think is going to do something in this system. Right. Let's see what happens in this yeah. leukocyte count or whatever the system is I'm using yeah. to measure. Okay, we have that. Okay. Now let's see what we what happens if I put in a blocking agent without my stimulus. Nothing happens mm -hmm. because nothing's being seen. Now let's put them in together. <laughs> Is it really blocking? Yeah, because yeah. the original is going down by 50%. Right. Okay, so this is blocking that. Okay, good. Next experiment. Let's try <laughs> the same thing in another uh, setup with different readouts. Is it happening yeah. there too? Is it happening there too? Is it happening there too? And then they cycle through this because once they've shown this to be a blocking agent, they're going to see, okay, if I block it and now I stimulate something else, what will mm -hmm. be the effect downstream and right it goes on and on. But the yeah. basic experiment is always positive control, negative control, action, blocking. Right. So those are the generic labels. Yeah, yeah. So why should, would I need to read 16 graphs with HRZBQ25? <laughs> Right. And then I have to go down to the footnote, which is half right. a page long, right. and halfway it says stimulates um, ABCLL50X, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is the readout system that I'm using in this little panel. Right, right. Anyway, I'm, I'm using a lot of words, but no, that no, no, chapter but, cost yeah. me three months to make. And in the end, well, you saw, you've seen it in the book. I hope you said, okay, you know, from the original, this is quite an improvement because I sort of can see what they're doing with little text saying uh, in this experiment we showed blah 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 but not that and then right. here this was stimulated and the labels the text and the labels are as generic as possible with as little abbreviations as necessary and then sort of walks you down that path of little okay. multiples yeah. so that at the end you have the story yeah it's kind of like and, a little comic book story or a comic yeah story. it's a yeah. comic book exactly that's the word but, but it, it, it's interesting, your, your story of that, what's interesting about it is that your focus 
is not so much on, you know, should this axis be this width and should the grid lines be this color and should the line be such and such. It's, it's interesting to hear you talk about it because the focus of, of that story was on making the labels and the language accessible to people. Exactly. Um, and, and, and it is interesting to me because this is one of the things that I talk about with people that, that it's, it's about the titling and the labels and the annotation because, you know, a graph, whether a graph is, is beautiful or not, is a lot in the eye of the beholder, right? You like blue, I like green, whatever. <coughs> but it's being able to tell people what's going on in the graph with the words. And, and yeah. I, I guess I'll say one last thing and then I'll, I'll let you just respond. That I think you've heard this too, where people say, oh, you should just be able to look at a graph and get it right away. And I just, I, I don't think that's true because nope. you need words. No, well, you know, there are rare instances. I mean, they say, you know, one, one picture is worth a thousand words. Okay. But uh, the, the gra- usually the graphs that are immediately obvious are those situations where I say, did you really need a graph for this? <laughs> So, you know, uh, if I I show you a graph with a mean length of men versus women and you Mm -hmm. see a bar with men being (laughs) higher than women, you say, okay, so men are bigger, (laughs) larger than women. Then I say, okay, you could have said that in one sentence. (laughs) Right. Right? Yeah. This is what, what... Pharma used to do, they've moved on from that, I have to say, but they used to show you these graphs, you know, before, after, mm-hmm. with big bars. So, oh, right. right. Oh, yeah. So, oh, now I see it in a graph. Oh, <laughs> right. man. No, uh, I, I think, and, and there's also this other thing of, um, I think, more uh, traditional scientific views that, you know, you should not impose on the reader your interpretation of the data. I'm just showing you the data and then you can make your own interpretation and I'm not going to bias you by telling you, well, that's all nonsense. Yeah. You know, in, yeah. in, in current times, people spend maybe two or three minutes on an abstract before moving on to the next. Yeah. And if you want to hit them, you hit them between the eyes. So the, the graph and the caption and, and everything is telling you that message again and again and again. So your caption should not read, here's the results of my experiments. I mean, that's yeah. not going to help. It's going to say, right. this clearly shows that A is blocking B. Yeah. I find this fascinating, and it happens in scientific publishing all the time, where people say, oh, I can't tell you what the result is in the graph. But if you go to the text that they write, the text will tell you exactly what the argument is. But like, exactly. when you the graph it's like it's just purely descriptive and i i never understood that disconnect between what i write in the text versus what i write in and around the graph like why don't they don't well yeah i mean the same discussion around uh, what one calls declarative titles of Mm -hmm. papers Mm -hmm. so uh, many journals will not allow you to say um a randomized trial showing drug a is good for patients with b Right. No, 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 no. Right. You have to say a randomized trial of the effect of A in patients with B. Yeah. But in the text. In the text, it'll, te- oh. it'll tell you that first piece. It's, 
<laughs> it is it's just so frustrating to me and I just I just don't understand it. But I, I, I want yeah. to I want to come back to what you said earlier yeah. because it, it is really two things. I think it's sort of um, those two things uh, labeled, um, I think John Cleveland, uh, you're, you know of John Cleveland? It's an old book, but he was also one of the... William, uh, William Cleveland, Bill Cleveland. Yeah, Bill, Bill Cleveland, yeah, 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 William, yeah. Yeah. yeah, together with, uh, with Tuft. Uh, yep. Those were the two, you know, pioneers in the field, the giants um, that we still... Uh, worship every day but he i think bill cleveland said clear vision and clear understanding and mm -hmm. and those two are you need them both and and they're not completely independent but um first you think okay what's the main message here and and how i'm gonna tell this story that is the basic and and that mm -hmm. would would be maybe your storyboard of your multiple panels saying i want to show the ex first this experiment and that experiment and that and that these three together lead to a conclusion which I can use in my next set of experiments, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. if, if that's not there, if the order there is wrong, then you're immediately lost. Yeah. Then, then the clear vision comes in with not only clear labels, but also consistent labels mm -hmm. and color coding and cues in the symbols that you use and the thinness of the axis versus the thickness of the series lines mm -hmm. and always um, um, making your experimental condition slightly more prominent than your control by either by color or by hue or what have you mm -hmm. and that is the technique of clear vision it, it's driven yeah. by the story but you want i mean it's as simple as <laughs> this happens all the time so you have this order of, you know, A, then B, then C. And then you have a graph where the order is C, B, A. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, immediately yeah. your brain is, hey, what was first here? <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that's usually the, the yeah. programs that do that, right? They, they, right. they yeah, have yeah. a yeah, tendency to give you the wrong order. Right. So yeah. and all these things is design. And, and like yeah. in tables, ordering is design. So it, it sort of fits together and you need yeah. to go back and say, okay, now I fiddled around with my labels, but is the story still clear? Oh no, because here I used another label be because it fit better or because it was more appropriate in this graph. But given mm -hmm. the story, perhaps I should change it to the other label because then it, the consistency is, is, is maintained. Or yeah. I can't, but then I thought about it. Right. I wanted to ask you one last question on, on the small multiples. So some of the examples in the book have say an odd number of graphs but the way at least some of the examples are is you know you might have let's just say two squares next to each other and then a rectangle below it that kind of spans across what would you recommend to people if they have small multiples but they have an odd number so they have one two three and they have this blank area right that's kind of left over um what do you what do you recommend people do with that blank area uh, th that's a difficult question, uh, also because y usually you're not the one making the page layout. Yes, that's true. So, right. so um, any form you produce will be handled or mishandled by uh, someone in the uh, production process, mm -hmm. yeah, turning sure. it into something different. Um, right. I I remember uh, with. 
the tables article that I wrote that they got the layout so wrong that I ended up, you know, printing the proof, mm-hmm. cutting it into pieces, yeah. putting the layout together and then yeah. making photographs that say, I want it in this order. <laughs> right, so if you have right. these, if you have these three panels, they could either make a big um, white area or they could mm-hmm. just fill it up with text in which yeah. case it, maybe it doesn't matter or they put the caption there which if yeah. it's big enough you know fits coolly inside then you have to you know place your i would say then then you know you have a, a row on top if i do it in mirror image and i would put the the third one uh, on the right side and then i put mm-hmm. the caption on the left below the first well you know that sort of right. thing uh, if if right. they allow you to fiddle around that's that's fine. I don't think you need to fill up a square space with a you know a stretch graph just because then it, yeah, you'll have the block filled. Right. But it it, yeah. it it does um, remind me to say that it's really important that you think about the limitations of the journal page, whether it be electronic or paper. Uh, it, it it isn't really helpful if you make graphs that fill one and a half column where you know it has mm-hmm. two columns because either yeah. they'll blow it up, right. which would be nice, or they'll make it smaller. Smaller, right. Where And then everything becomes unreadable. So you right. have to think in advance, okay, what do I want for this figure? Can it be in one mm-hmm. column? Can it be in two or should it be a full page? And if so, right. should it be rotated, which is usually not good for figures because people mm-hmm. read upright, et cetera, et cetera. So that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but that's but that's a good point, and it is, it is true that a lot of journals don't tell you that until the very end, or they never tell you that, and they just say this is how it's going to be, and then you're you're and and most authors are so thrilled that their paper is finally accepted, (laughs) right? They 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 don't want to be difficult. Where the reality is, the you know the science editor is usually on your side and is just as Mm -hmm. exasperated with the production process. Right. as as you are but is out of the the loop right so the moment it goes into production you're dealing with technicians yeah. who may or may not be helpful right well, it's perfectly fine just to say you know sorry this proof is not okay because this and that and then the, i've had proofs come back four times yeah but then of course i'm a cranky old man so <laughs> <laughs> if you're a well, junior I'm, fellow well, on that note, um, so the book is Data Visualization for Biomedical Scientists, Creating Tables and Graphs That Work. Uh, Martin, where can folks find you if they have questions or they want to bring you in to talk? Where, where's the best way to, to find you? Well, I think it best, it best were if you just were to project the, the slides I sent you with my personal details, also the... Um, um, the link to the book if they want to buy it it's it's qr codes and i have to say you know i'm actually next week i'm going to be in in, in canada in toronto to give a, a data viz course uh, which Great. is you know a half day affair with some prep work uh and that's really a lot of work to do um yeah. you know so i i do travel um okay. and I, I i don't i don't organize these courses myself mostly i just tell people you know you want me to give that course okay then i'll come over and and this is what you need to do so i'm uh, yeah that's great well i'll put links to the book and to your to your classes site and uh folks can get in touch so martin thanks so much for coming on the show uh really appreciate it it was a great conversation 
Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the show. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you will check out Martin's book. I've put links to his website and all the things that we talked about on the show notes at policyviz.com. And you can check out other resources, other tutorials, and other things around the world of data and data visualization at policyviz.com. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, this has been the Policy Viz Podcast. A number of people help bring you the Policy Viz Podcast. Music is provided by the NRIs. Audio editing is provided by Ken Skaggs. Design and promotion is created with assistance from Sharon Satsuki Ramirez. And each episode is transcribed by Jenny Transcription Services. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Policy Viz Podcast is ad-free and supported by listeners. If you'd like to help support the show financially, please visit our PayPal page or our Patreon page at patreon.com slash policyviz.